0: Welcome to season four of Been There, Done That, a pandemic survival podcast. I'm your host, Felicia Perez, and in this show, we'll be talking to some real life experts on how to get through this time filled with unexpected changes, challenges, and not maybe, but definitely feelings of helplessness. And those experts are everyday people like you and me. Turns out we may be more prepared for this moment than we realize. So let's get started and see what we can relearn. Oh gosh, today is, I forgot to check. It is November 23rd. It is a Monday. It is the Monday of Thanksgiving week. So we are T minus, uh, I guess, three days until um, the holiday of Thanksgiving. And um, I'm so excited to be able to speak today to Angela. And the thing is, Angela, you were one of the first people that I interviewed for season three, you were like person one for season three. So it was still the summer. Uh Um, We were kind of still in the middle of um, the uprising across the country um, against state sanctioned violence at the hands particularly of the police. And because now we have state sanctioned violence and murder, you know, the police, the you know, government, the CDC, like there's just so many, so many options now. And um, so it's been actually quite a while yeah. since you and I have checked in. And in that time, both of us have moved me around the corner to a new house, but still in the city of Reno, still in the sort of Wells area. And you, oh, you didn't go around the corner. No, you went from washington d c to Florida right. um so a permanent snowbird and um and i I just i guess I want to start there. How was the move like what was the process like for you moving in the middle of a pandemic and in the middle of like the heart of of Trump world, you know, right before the election?
1: Yeah, I mean, the move was um it feels like a whirlwind this year has been just so outrageous for so many reasons. And, um, the move really felt like, um, it, it, well, I'll say two things. So emotionally leaving DC, I had been in DC for 12 years mm. and emotionally leaving DC felt like, um, you know, I was, I, I, I felt like it was, a, it was, a, it felt like the the season had ended, you know, you sort of you think about, you know, your favorite shows when they, there's a series finale. um, And it felt like this is the right time for that series finale. And so Mm -hmm. a bit sad. And I certainly miss some of my closest friends that are still living in DC, but it definitely felt like that was part of the, maybe one of the more affirming parts of the move. It just felt like, okay, this is it's a good time, see the series finale. We're not going to that 10th season or whatever where <laughs> the storyline is a little awkward and it's not quite in line with the previous. So it was like, okay, it's good to go. Um, <clears throat> it was also, we also sort of moved towards the tail end of the uprising, the most sort of at the most intense points of the uprising. Right. And so, you know, my partner, Kevin and I went from you know being really steeped into supporting folks across the country and like telling the story of this uprising to um packing up our whole lives and like trying to find a house and doing all of those things um and so so that was also like a a, a bit of a whirlwind kind of situation and right. like, added to the whirlwind feeling um and then you know we it, it's definitely been a bit of a Culture shock may not be the right word, but I I am I was surprised by how um, uh, adamant and intense the Trump support is. Um, in Florida? I, yeah, not yeah, just yeah, in Florida, especially. Like I live in in um, um, South Florida, Broward County, and um, you know it's a pretty racially diverse area. Um, But the area I live in specifically, you know, like our neighborhood, there were no shortage of Trump flags, Latinos from Trump, Mm. Blue Lives Matter flags, the sort of American flag with black and white and the blue strip in the middle. Um, And so that was just like, oh, my goodness. Um, And I've had several moments where I sort of like, you know, either driving at night or walking at night or, you know being in that neighborhood and really thinking about all of the stories of folks who had the police called on them just being in their neighborhood and walking biking living in their neighborhood in their mm-hmm. homes and, mm-hmm. and just how you know the risk feels a lot more real but I also think that um, as a as an organizer as someone who's you know pushing for change, culturally and policy and politics, it is important to be aware of just how um, entrenched some of these values are in even not in just in our institutions, but in people's everyday lives and their, their, their own kind of personal experiences.
0: Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Angela, you went from living in Washington DC where the current Trump administration and his family live to Florida where he is a registered voter and really is kind of like that's really my home, even though he also has all this, you know, root and and location and property <coughs> and whatnot in New York, right? So you went from uh, the center of Trump, you know, land for now, right yeah. in D.C. to the heart. Uh, you know, so it's like you went from the mind to the heart in that's this right. body of like massive conservatism and white supremacy. Right. Like you were just moving through the body of of how this is working. And um, but is it. What about that sunshine, though? Like what about the sunshine the and the beach? Fantastic.
1: Yeah, <laughs> we live very close to the beach. So that's the thing, <clears throat> excuse me, I always tell people, you know, it's a lot more races down here, but you live close to the beach. So it's, it's a little more digestible. I mean, we really, <laughs> and I, I, it's a good I, chaser. It's a good chaser. It's a little bit of lime. Totally, yeah. The sunshine, the breezes, the mm-hmm. ocean being in it, it, it. It's also a um, kind of a return to nature. Isn't the right word, but some of the more natural elements of like living, you know, like we have a backyard, we have grass, You know, there's lots of trees around us. And so that part feels very grounding. That part feels very affirming, very like, this is where I want to be. This is where I want to continue to be. Um, I do have a lot of questions in my mind and I haven't really, I just got here. And, and, and when I, when I arrived, I was also really um, been working on a campaign that was really taking a lot of my mental capacity. And so. Um when I, I I do have a lot of questions about like what's gonna be possible, what is gonna be um, you know, and in, in the election this year too, <clears throat> excuse me, Florida Democrats lost quite a quite a bit um yeah. in South yeah. Florida, in some of the middle of the 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 state as well. And so it'll be interesting to see like what comes of that. Yeah. I mean, but you know, you
0: lived in DC for 12 years. Um, I love the idea of it being like a a series finale. I I felt somewhat similar for our old house. You know, it was our, it was our first home. Yes. Um,
1: Congratulations on your new house. Yes.
0: Yes. So the first house was our first home and it was small and it felt at the time, like it was enough. You know, we, we moved from Los Angeles to Reno and we had a house about the same square footage and size in LA than our house here in Reno. Reno. Only this time we owned it, um, which felt like very different. Um, And let me just say, home ownership is not all that it's cracked up to be because there's, there's no one to call when something's broken or when things start to fall apart. The only person I guess to call is the bank for a loan, because it's hard enough to get enough money to, be a homeowner to maintain the house um, is its own, you know, budget and and financial stress. So um, it was kind of on the smaller side. And, you know, COVID makes everything that's already small feel miniature. Yeah. And, and so everything, the scale of things and the feeling of things is different. So I feel like a lot of what's happened during this, this first year of COVID is, is people really feeling um, a need, a calling back to land interaction and relationship, you know, and, and usually when we think about nature, it usually is a lot of trees and it's like mountains, but nature is also water and the sand and, and a backyard and all of those kinds of things. Right. So that's what we wanted. We wanted more backyard. I wanted more ability to be out and feel the sun without feeling my neighbors coughing Uh, Right on top of me. And we live closer to the VA hospital. Mm -hmm. And at the beginning of COVID, you know, um, I had a lot of doctors and nurses walking in front of the house and family members and patients and two nurses dying right away from COVID-19. So for me being compromised, you know, immune system, um, you know, issues and whatnot, it also felt like if I could just get a little bit further away from this constant sort of like traffic. Um, and so we moved literally around the corner. We've got a porch, we've got a deck, we've got like all this space to actually get sunshine. And it just feels wonderful. Yeah. But around the corner last week, there was somebody who had a Trump flag who was out front of a house that had a Black Lives Matter sign. And yeah. they, the, the person on the street with the Trump flag was yelling at the person with the BLM sign. And I've got my own, you know, Black Lives Matter sign and and all the other goodies out in front of my house. And it felt like, you know, I, I still live in Reno, you know, and, and I, I think what's interesting is that, you know, you lived in DC. I know you did lobby work. I know, you know, the dynamics of how, you know, um, There's an ebb and flow every two years, really, not every four, to this like response to what's happening, um, you know, with current folks. And so two years ago, we really had this blue sort of 2016 or sorry, 2018 pushback to the Trump administration with a lot of places that were purpley going blue and a lot of places that were red going purple. Um, That includes here in Nevada. We had like a super majority Democratic, um, you know, legislation. Legislation. We now have a Democratic governor, which we haven't had in decades. And in my home state and, and city of Orange County in Orange, we also had a, a very heavily, you know, decades of Republican representation in, in the Senate and in Congress turn uh, blue and just this last election went back to red. So I think there's this constant back and forth. Right. Um, but it, everything just feels so much more dire and like a really big deal. Everything is a big deal. Nothing is a little deal mm-hmm. right now. Um, and then as you were talking about the, the series finale and the 12 years in DC, I was thinking about Grey's Anatomy. Now, why would anyone be thinking about Grey's Anatomy right now? Well, it's seeming like the show might finally end yeah. Coming up soon. And what happens when a show has been on for way too damn long is that you get a return of characters that you were like, no, but I thought you were gone. And they bring them back because they're trying to wrap things up. So you got a Dr. McDreamy or a McSteamy or a McSomething is coming back on the show. And I, and now there's talk that the main character, Meredith Gray, is going to like end the show and die by suicide. And so things get, I know Angela's face right now is like, oh, my God. But this is is the thing, right? If your show stays on for too long, the ending is real intense As versus well. yeah. <laughs> versus if you end you know midway through life maybe you know it's going to be okay. So I'm actually really excited that you left DC when you did because I didn't want a return of characters. I didn't want any McDreamies yeah. or McSteamies coming back into your story, Angela. Right. You don't need that. You don't need that. Oh, I do not need. That. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 now but now Florida, South Florida. I mean, you've got weather elements. Did you did you have to hunker down for some recent storms and rains and hurricanes? We totally had
1: a tropical storm. <gasps> um, yeah, that that's definitely like your your uh, welcome to Florida card when you have to deal with <laughs> uh, water in your in your um, in your backyard or in your your, yeah, your flooding sunroom. We had a little flooding. Yeah, that's your, that's your, like, your Floridian, um, you know, ticket now. Um, Are I you going to be okay with that? I think I am. I mean, I love the rain. I really, really do. Like, I love the storms. You know, obviously not the super intense storms, but I do. I am. <laughs> there
0: is a limit. Yeah, right.
1: But my partner is, he's he was born in, he was, he's raised down here. He was born in New York, but he's raised down here. And so, you know, when the, the news of the tropical storm came, I was like, should we be varying What do we do? You know, I'm like, so for example, if I'm from Michigan, when we get a snowstorm, I got everything. I'm like, don't worry about it. We can drive in the snow. We can't drive in the snow. This yeah, is, yeah. Is, it's fine. And I think he had like a similar, you know, kind of the roles were reversed a little bit. Right. And I was just like, if this is a tropical storm, I do not want to see what a hurricane is like. I mean, oh, the oh. rain, the rain, Felicia, the water is just, unbelievable i mean it 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 come i mean it it does it reminds you like it reminded me of like a blizzard it is very much like a blizzard but it's not i think it's a little more dangerous because the water is there like a rain out rushing yeah basically yeah you can't really see Mm. um and it and it's like it's like aggressive rain for like a day
0: a whole day
1: yeah which as opposed to like a few hours.
0: Right. You know, right.
1: or even like an hour. Yeah. It's like aggressive rain for like 24 hours. Wow. And that's the problem. That's why it's like that's
0: where that's you get the flooding and the saturation of the water and streets exactly. and everything.
1: Exactly. Because even when you know, natural rainfall, it can't drain out, it can't release. It's like Yeah. Um, so that was really interesting and You know, I don't, um, I, we definitely, I didn't feel like we were like hunkered down by any means, but it was a little bit like, oh shit. Okay. So yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It is. Wow.
1: its (laughs) wow has got it. Okay. So this is what you mean by storm. Got yeah. it.
0: This is why there's exclamation points and everything's in big font on the news. This is totally exactly. warranted. Yeah. This yeah. is why
1: they get, this is why they do that. Bum, bum, bum on the news. It's, it's really well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm,
0: I've, you know, most of my life lived in Southern California and we get all caps and exclamations when it's just a light drizzle because people <laughs> just aren't used to it. They act a fool. They're still driving really fast and just, you know, think they're invincible. Probably much like some Michiganders um, when it's snowing you know don't worry there's salt I got snow tires I can do anything um which by the way snow tires (laughs) if you don't know what snow tires are it's basically like little tiny bolts in all over uh wheels and they kind of mess up the road if you keep them on the whole time but in the snow you really are kind of invincible with snow tires um Angela, just real quick, this is kind of a sidetrack. Have you ever lived on the West Coast and experienced earthquakes? I'm just trying to figure out how many natural disasters you are prepared for. No, I <laughs> you know, like how prepared are you?
1: I have experienced one earthquake that was not prepared for. Oh like 20- no, let's to be clear, no,
0: no one is ever prepared for them. You don't get like a warning.
1: Yeah. Yeah. In 2010 or maybe it was 2011, it was like 2010 or 2011. There was an earthquake in D.C. Um, That's right. It was really weird. Everyone was, was like, so what? Weird. It was so weird. You were like the world's ending, which, yeah, you know, maybe,
0: it <laughs> maybe it was the
1: beginning of maybe what we're the, in the now. Yeah, end. right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so no, it, was, it was that that was my only. And I was like, I think I was outside or maybe I just remember going outside.
0: Wow, yeah, no, earthquakes are their own thing. And, and depending on where you are, you experience them differently. If you're on a second or third story, you experience a sway because things kind of move in a particular way. Let me say an earthquake while you're driving is ridiculous because if if you're driving and there's an earthquake it feels like you all of a sudden got like three different flat tires all at the same time because your car just kind of starts to move (laughs) in this weird way but then also you know if you really are understandable about earthquakes you understand that there's two kinds yeah. There's kinds where the the plates move up and down and that makes it feel like it's a wave. It feels wavy. It feels like, ooh, I'm on a ride. But when the the plates move next to each other, side by side, not up and down, it feels jerky. It feels like somebody like pushed your house or pushed you if you're like walking on the sidewalk. You're like, whoa, what just pushed me? That was nothing. And the thing with earthquakes <laughs> is as nothing. a natural, the thing with earthquakes as a natural disaster, to your point earlier, like there's no warning. There's no dun, 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 you know, get your sandbags, you know, cover the windows. Right. Earthquake reporting is an aftermath. Yeah. There was an earthquake or you <laughs> might hear the reporter saying we're having one now. It's right now, you know, and they, they get under things. And then there's the after reporting. There's no for planning. And I guess I want to stay here for a second because it feels like this is this is our political you know, process in the United States. It can be any one of these. Sometimes it feels like an earthquake where we're only reporting about, well, since this person has become president, blah, blah, blah. That reminds me of like maybe Carter years. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what we've had with this current administration has been like the tornado warning mm-hmm. and the rain that just lasted four years nonstop. And We knew it was coming. Some of us have experienced this kind of hate, this kind of vitriol, this kind of you can't go everywhere. So we were really scared. And some of us were not aware of these kinds of divisions and were not prepared for where we're at. And so it has been a very interesting, natural, man-made and non-man-made disaster of the last four years. And so I want to know now, moving away from moving, what has the election And the fact that we are waiting for um, your home state of Michigan to all eyes are on Michigan right now to really make sure that the certification of the votes and that Biden was the winner um, is the winner. You know, the the head of the certification in Michigan, I'm forgetting his name. It starts with an S. It's like shinkle, sninkles, yeah, yep, snickerdoodle. Shingle. This guy snickerdoodle got on a plane and went to <laughs> went to D.C. to meet with the president. So what are your thoughts on on the state of the current election? What are your fears? What are your dreams? What are your predictions?
1: Yeah. So it's really interesting because after probably shortly after our last talk, yeah. I ended up taking a contract to work on a campaign to basically prepare progressive organizations and movements to respond to um, the event of a contested election scenario, which we're kind of in right now. Mm-hmm. And so I've been in the last five months, I've been um, in a really deep and fairly intense campaign preparation process supporting organizations in 12 States, including Nevada, um um to build up to build sort of many tables in the in the at the same time where all of these states and all of these organizations are trying to win an election get everybody out to vote yeah. everybody educated registered and all that we also needed to create some infrastructure to be prepared for um being organized and to be able to mobilize you know mass, mass masses of people and so I am I am way too familiar with what's going on in Michigan uh-huh, uh-huh. and in Wisconsin and in Georgia. You know, these are states where it's it's a really interesting I think a, a couple of things I'll say, because like I could talk about this for way too long, but there's a few things that are I'm just sort of um, sitting with and kind of holding as we're going through this. And like what uh-huh. one, one of them is that, you know, the last four the storm of the last four years has made it really clear that like our our weatherization is not up to snuff yeah right like yep. our institutions that and the systems that we have in place that are intended to prevent massive humanitarian violence um that are intended to to stop um you know um people who want to be like flex authoritarian or just abuse power to make money for themselves at the detriment of everybody else right like those systems are failed or are failing have failed Um, and and i think in this election moment we really saw like a ramping up to try to fortify those, those those systems and infrastructures to really fortify the the um, election administration and the counting processes and protecting people at the polls a lot of organizers showed up to protect people at election locations at voting locations um, protect from disinformation protect from people with guns like trying to intimidate them or even administration officials trying to intimidate them and so I, I and and while we were able to squeak by um, and it, it does look like, you know, fingers crossed, that that we will certify in Michigan and the rest of the states will move on. You know, there there's a we we need to really after this storm, we need to rebuild and we need to rebuild our voting systems in a way and our 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 the systems of how we choose our leaders mm-hmm. in a way that um is not depending on the structures of 100 plus years ago or the ideas or the, the dynamics, right? Like like going back to this storm idea, right? Like the storms nowadays are much more intense than they were yes. hundred yes. years ago, 20 years ago, whatever. And so we cannot rely on our systems and our infrastructure that was set up for storms that are less intense or mm-hmm. of a different caliber to to protect us and save us. Now we've got to rebuild with much clearer eyes and smarter ideas about what does it need to be. So that's the one thing. And then I I I, I am the thing that is um, I think I'm most concerned about going at least now going into going coming out of the storm and going into another administration is just that um, you know the 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 organization of you know domestic white national terrorists right domestic terrorists that are white nationalists that are um, you know like groups like the proud boys and even worse um, yeah. they there there is a you um, not just rising tide but risen tide of these folks and if we are not and i i, I don't think that um are the folks that are in charge of um tracking threats tracking storms tracking what we need to be prepared for and preparing us for that mm-hmm. have an eye towards this threat Right. It's like a it's like a it's an it's a residual, almost like like an aftershock that could be even worse. Or maybe right. even like when there's an earthquake and there's a tsunami that's coming
0: mm-hmm. after the mm-hmm. earthquake.
1: Right. Like we're trying to get everything together. We're trying to repair, we're trying to clean up, trying to find whatever that assess the damage. Yeah. Right. All while there's a tsunami coming from the, the depths of the ocean that was caused and initiated by this earthquake, I'm really taking right. this metaphor now. That was yeah. initiated by this earthquake. Yeah, coming, you know. And I just, I think that 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 we're not prepared, and um, it, us not being sorry, Felicia.
0: No, this is no, this is great. This is great. You know what what, what I'm what I'm thinking with and sitting with is that, you know, early on. In COVID pandemic times and in interviews and conversations with people, we were really starting to see the connection between a COVID-19 virus and pandemic that you can't see, that's transmitted by literally what we say and how we breathe and what we consume and what we ingest. And you can't see it, but it's there. And you just have to know that it's there. And some folks don't believe that it exists. Like all of that we were using as, doesn't that sound like white supremacy? Doesn't that sound like racism? Isn't white supremacy and racism also a disease that's passed on by what people say and communicate and by our very breath and our very existence. And we could just run into it. And some people believe it exists and some people believe that it doesn't. And now what we're doing is making that more complicated and making that more real connective to other things as well, to the point of us being able to talk about climate change Right. It's not just an environmental elements of, you know, the earth, but also that the climate, the racial climate, the the harmonic human being, humanity climate right. has also changed. Right. And what's interesting to me is that, you know, we're talking about these rising tides about how the storms of today are not like the storms of 100 years ago because that climate has changed. And so the storms and the anticipation of white supremacy has also changed and we We are not able to use the old tools, the old processes, the old ways of defending ourselves and protecting each other. They don't work anymore against the storm. And I think what's interesting to me that I want to point out is that we have been using the phrase climate change For the last few years, because it was a deliberate change from the previous way that this was talked about, which was called global warming. And no one wanted to talk anymore about global warming, because global warming didn't feel like we needed to respond and do anything. It's like something's warming. Okay. So it's getting warmer. I don't understand what I have anything to do with that. But when we start talking about climate change and that change in itself means that we can then change it in a different direction and that this is a climate which you are then a part of versus a warming of, uh, you know, of the globe, it, it made people respond differently to it. And so, What is the way in which we can start talking about white supremacy and racism differently so that people can start to pay attention to it? Or is the fact that we have really been naming things as white supremacy and racist, is that the change that has already just happened that is going to be making the difference?
1: I think it has. I think that I think that the naming of it has changed the climate, I think. Um, even just now, right? So going back to what's happening in Michigan in Michigan, basically, um, people voted, voters decided they wanted Joe Biden to be the president. Like in significant numbers, a big mm-hmm. chunk of the vote um, in Michigan comes from Wayne County, which is mostly black people that live in Detroit. Mm-hmm. And right now, they're trying to the Republicans in Wayne in Michigan, are trying to. They did last week try to um, throw out or not certify, not approve the votes. Uh, just of that one county, not mm-hmm. every, not any other county. Right. Just that one mostly black county, um, and they they failed that effort, and now they're trying to do the same t- to not you know, confirm, affirm the votes of the whole state because of this one county Mm -hmm. and so an all black county. And so what we're seeing now is more people, excuse me, are saying, oh, wow, this is like blatantly racist. And we're trying to stay in power by taking away the votes of people who are black. The ability of black people to vote. So I think that we would not have gotten to this place of people calling it racist um, the way that it as they are, if we have not been calling other things racist and creating change yeah. in the climate, as you as you mentioned.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but I also think that, um, you know, to your point about like, what is the change that we need to make? Yeah, I really think that I, I've been just wrestling with this idea since the election, this last election that like you know, more white women voted for Trump this time than less. So so that's more white women voted for Trump after he separated millions of family children from their families, but not millions, thousands of children from their families, right? More women, more mothers, more caregivers, um, more people who take care of our children voted for Trump. Um, after he um, failed to prov- failed to respond to this pandemic that's killed um, over a quarter million of our of our, of our um, neighbors, and so then the question is comes right like we have the response from from folks on the left and in the center is like we're losing working class white voters. We've got to figure out how to talk to them. And I and I, I I agree, right? I think that the Democrats are losing working class voters. Period, right? We 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 voted in this cycle at the top of the ticket for the least of our really not so great choices. Um, but <clears throat> there's also not the the party's not super popular in in terms of working class. It's not speaking to working class people of any race or any identity or experience. And so, um, but but my my thought really here is. What if we stopped centering whiteness in how we address white supremacy and racism? Because especially being down here in Florida, like lots of people of all races and identities are, are, are subscribed to white supremacy in one way or another. You know, you think about the Cubans, people who um, may, may present as like lighter skin or not but they very much identify as white. They do not identify as Hispanic. They would not identify as Latino, even though our culture would identify them as such. Um, And so what if we, and and similarly to, to there are some, you know, black folks, black immigrants, black, um, you know, even just some black American folks who may not, speak with the same sort of vitriol about uh, like racism and white supremacy, but are still very much like um, subscribing to it in the decisions that they make and how they go about their lives. And so, you know, there's a lot of talk in progressive movement about coming up with a narrative that can address racism, that can bring white people in, doesn't push them out, doesn't shame them. And I just really wonder, you know, what would it be, what would it mean for us to take Whiteness out of the center of move of, of whether or not something is or isn't racist or how we are or are not talking about racism and put something else in the middle. How do Black people talk about racism? How do Latinx folks talk about racism? How do Asian people talk about racism? Take the white people and the white experience and the whiteness out of the main focus because that's still white supremacy in a way, right? Like having the basing whether or not we're making racial progress on whether or not white people are or not still being racist puts white people at the center, which is white people being most important, white supremacy once again. And so I, I, I just wonder, and I don't have a, I haven't like fully thought this out. I'm just toying with it as like, a what if we didn't care so much what if we didn't spend so much of our time about how we're talking about race and racism in this country on how white people are talking about race and racism in this country, about how white people are thinking about it? What, what would that mean? What shift could that be?
0: Well, Angela, um, these, are some, these are some big thoughts here, and we have a very limited amount of time left to talk about them. But <laughs> I love what you were posing, because on the one hand, it's rhetorical. And on the other hand, it begs not to stay as a rhetorical question. It requires action, not just thought, but it does beg for thought first. And, you know, when we talk about white supremacy, even in the phrase whiteness is centered, right? So like to the way that we even frame the conversation, it is already inherently centered there. Oh, wow. And, and you know, it reminds me of... uh how schools assess whether or not they're doing well. It mm-hmm. reminds me how our healthcare system assess whether or not you are a healthy individual. What's your BMI? How how close to overweight are you um, when it comes to high schools and education? Well, how many people are graduating? And what's your graduation rate? What's your passing rate? And how many of your students are going on to higher ed? And how many of your students are passing these you know test scores above and beyond what yeah. others students are passing. And so what's happening when I bring up health and I bring up education and we start talking about racism in the country via talking about white supremacy, what we're doing is saying that the measurement is based on the goal. So we are measuring someone's health based on this is what healthy looks like. We are measuring the success of a school that success would only look like graduating. We are not measuring the success based on how many people are eating. Mm-hmm. How many people have food in their homes? How many people have a home? How many people have, you know, extracurricular activities? Yeah. How, like we're not measuring what we lack. We're only measuring whether how, wh- yeah, it. whether or not you've gone to the goal. And so when we talk about white supremacy in it of itself, we're measuring how close are you to being white? and being powerful and being supreme. And if you are not in a position of power, then that must be white supremacy. And the right. only reason why you desire power is because if of white you supremacy. You wanna
1: achieve that, yeah.
0: Yes, you want that power. So the power of white supremacy is not necessarily in the whiteness, it's in the power that is given to people who are white or lighter skinned. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about, and, and let's be clear, you know, some people identify as Latino, and and that's becoming more and more a political statement mm-hmm. than it is anything else. When we have individuals who identify as Hispanic, we get one, uh, a clue about you don't know where that word actually comes from. And once you do, are you still using it? Are you realizing that it was created by the U.S. government to really center a Spanish descent, a colonial descent in Spanish speaking countries? Um, and then it's also about, you know, Cuban Americans and Venezuelan Americans and migrants from Venezuela and from Cuba, depending on when you left, you left because you were in a position of power and you could leave and you needed to leave because the country was taking things back that you didn't really own, that you took, and you didn't want anybody taking from you what you had taken. So you were ready to leave, right? So the people who left Cuba and the people who left Venezuela who are anti-quote dictator, were the ones who were the lighter skins predominantly, who had the most to lose and who didn't want to lose any, and who identified more with their colonizer Spanish side than yeah. any other side. And so they happily call themselves Hispanic. They happily call themselves something that's not like the brown people. And yeah. and, and to the point, when we start centering Hispanics in Florida, we are centering whiteness instead of centering the conversation let's look at the darker skinned, you know, Latinx population on the West Coast. Yeah. that really also changed some dynamics and even in, in the in Midwest you know and in middle America and like Wisconsin and Michigan there's a growing you know number of folks who who have moved um, and have landed in different places and are darker skinned. but again, everything is being centered at where the harm is and I'm so right. tired. Yeah. I'm so tired of talking about how are we going to get back more white voters than how are we actually going to finally meet the needs of the darker skinned, more progressive, more liberal, you know, electorate
1: that is right is, is that, depending are, on the win. And their incentive, it, like our incentive is to, right, get our needs met. Right. And so like, even thinking about, you know, I did some campaigning earlier this year for Elizabeth Warren in the South, um, in South Carolina and listening to voters, Even, even Black voters, right? Black voter, Democratic voters who like are very clear that racism is a thing, are very clear, like even that decision that those voters are making is like, well, even if I might like this other candidate or these other issues, I know that our politics prioritizes and rewards and has at the center these white people that are not me, that don't have my ideas in mind. And so I need to make a decision for my survival about based on what they're going to do and how they're going to make how how they are processing a candidate. Mm-hmm. And it, it is just like. a It's a recreate. It's a cycle, right? We just sort of yep. get we, we get into a loop of we want to change things, but we know change is impossible or we think change is impossible without these people because they're the most important people. And so we've got to figure out a way to fit our change based on what those people would want. Right. And so then it continues to put them back in the center. Even though we know they shouldn't be in the center. Even though we know that our life, you know, we our lives matter just as much as theirs and we want to put our lives in the center. That doesn't matter because we still kind of put whiteness as the top of our political discourse. Yes. And I, I mean to our detriment. I just don't think <sighs> I'm not sure that we can tackle white supremacy from a place of putting whiteness at the center. I don't think we can.
0: I I, I often worry that we shouldn't um, and and we haven't really tried it uh, for very long. Um, so maybe maybe that's where that's where we need to go next. I mean, I feel one of the things that's super interesting about earlier points in our conversation is just how important we have really understood in the last four years how important the littlest things are. Like these tiny little gatekeepers who you kind of ignore, you know, like the the clerk, the county clerk, you know, yeah. who, who even cared about the person who signs off. Uh, Emily, what's her name? Emily, uh, I only... Yes, Ellie Curry. Murphy
1: like how, Murray, Murray or
0: Murphy. I think it's. I, oh, let's figure that out. But Emily with an M. Murray. Yeah. Um. You know who? Whoever cared about that position before this person who just signs off on yeah. This person, you know, won. So let's the start the transition. Yeah. Like we took for granted all these little tiny positions that they would just fall in line and do the right thing. We can no longer count on anyone whether it's a government official or the neighbor or your family to quote, do the right thing. Because I think what is happening in the country is that we no longer really agree with at a very base level, what yeah. the
1: right thing is, what that's, doing that's the great. right thing is. Even down to the masks wearing. It's like, what do you mean? Yes, Of course that's the right thing to do. I think that that's a great point, Felicia. We don't, it- there's we not don't. agreement on what no. is right. No, no, and we use and I, I feel and maybe we never did, but we felt like we did, like this yeah. false sense
0: of security. And I think that that's ultimately what has been surfaced and is in front of everybody's face, regardless of you want to acknowledge it or not. Like we do not have consensus. Consensus on what security means and what it looks like and where it's coming from. We have seen for the last, you know, more than five years that the biggest danger within the country. Doesn't come from outside the country, doesn't come from people who are dark skinned or hijab wearing or yeah. of different religions. The danger within the country comes from the blonde haired, blue eyed, fair skinned, light skinned, you know, white male who has a gun, who walks into a Walmart in Texas, who goes into a garlic festival in Gilroy, who goes into a church on a Sunday, and on and on. And we are still unable as a country to look at where the real danger comes from and
1: And and yes
0: yes and we, we we can't do it so let's be clear i want i want to remind people or introduce people to who you are four years ago when trump won and then immediately after on inauguration, there was a march called the Women's March. Little pink hats that were supposed to, um, you know, they were pussy hats. They were supposed, supposed to look, look like, like a
1: cat. They are supposed to look like a uterus and fallopian tubes. It's so weird. Yes, but it was but, like yeah. the weirdest thing I have ever. I was like, "What's up with the hats? What do the hats mean?"
0: It's what happens when you center whiteness. Okay, so we we get white women who are like, yes, let's go with fallopian tubes because everyone's into that. And so um, so we have this we have this this women's march, and Angela becomes this iconic character in an image that then goes viral. Where Angela, you're sucking on a lollipop, and you're walking <laughs> next to a bunch of women who are white and taking pictures of themselves at a March and you're holding up a sign that says, don't forget 53% of all white women voted for Donald Trump. So I want to, I, I want to ask the question. And now we know that that 53 has gone up to like 57% 55. 55. Angela, before I let you go, I want to know, why did you have that sign then? And if there were to be a women's March come this January, what would your new sign say?
1: I had the sign then because I felt like this, the full story wasn't being told at that March, mm-hmm. right? The full story of that March was like, we're resist the story that they were telling was like, yeah, we're resisting, we're fighting back. We are coming together because we're the ones that need to fight. And to me, the full story was like, well, you all are one of the reasons we're in this situation in the first place, Right, right? If 53% of white women voted for Trump, at the very least, some of the women that marched did, Right. And if they didn't, they are friends, associates, community, family. Mentors, people, family who did. And it to me, it's not enough to say we're resisting. If you're also not practicing that in your daily life, like that's just not enough. And I think today, if I had to do another sign, it would be something of like, I don't believe you. Like, I don't believe these, these, I don't believe in any of this. These women who are like, you know, we're ready to like move forward with our country and like, thank God we have this Biden character that's going to move us forward and change things. It's like, what did you change? What did you change about your behavior, about your community, about your experience over the last four years? Nothing because we're in a worse your your community has doubled down and have reaffirmed this situation where so so what has changed what what has changed over the last four years? What have you changed? What has changed in you that you that will expect that you expect now will mean that the rest of the country is changing.
0: So what I heard is that if you were to make, another sign for right now, it would really just say two words. Prove it. Yeah, absolutely. Whatever you're saying, whatever you you're marching it. to, whatever you're chanting, absolutely. prove it, prove it.
1: Do something about it, because like we are seeing no receipts, nothing that is coming right. to show that you actually believe and have acted on what you're saying.
0: And that, my friends, is how we leave a seasoned cliffhanger for the next time that we speak to Angela and wrap up this series finale of year one of COVID-19. And if that didn't wet your appetite, maybe consider moving to Florida where (laughs) it rains in buckets and you will be swamped and drenched in, in desiring more. Thank you so, so much for all the things that you do. Happy holidays. You've been listening to Been There, Done That, your pandemic survival podcast. I'm your host, Felicia Perez. Stay well and stay human.